You are listening to audio from Central Baptist Church in Mansfield, Texas. If you would like to get more involved or get more information about our church, stick around after the message. If you have your Bibles, join me. Hebrews chapter 10. We close our series today on the body. Next Sunday, we begin a new series that we've entitled Overflow. I hope that you'll be faithful to attend. I believe you'll find them to be a blessing. We've shown you this uh, video this morning. I know I've shown it before. I don't think I've ever shown it on a Sunday morning. Um, I know I've shared it on social media a couple times. But I find the video very powerful and very convicting. Let's recap. Chinese Christians will be faithful to gather as the church even under, under threat of years of prison, many of whom have already been imprisoned for their faith, and when they're released from prison are still faithful to church when they get out. Few Christians in China have a Bible, but it's okay because they are diligent to memorize the Word of God, even if it's just from scraps of paper while in prison. All Chinese Christians need is a place to worship God together. doesn't matter where or what it's like. They're even willing to travel 13 hours on a train to get to it. Why would Chinese Christians do all that? Why show up under threat of prison? Why travel 13 hours for church services? Is it really that important? Why do they go to such great lengths just to gather with other believers? I believe the answer is powerful. They realize how foundational to their faith being a part of and being together with their church is. Woo, man, that's good. They realize how foundational to their faith being a part of and being together with their church really is. It shouldn't come as a surprise that the church as a whole is growing in China, even under persecution, faster than just about anywhere else in the entire world. There are more Christians in China, in a country where Christianity is illegal, than there are people in the United States of America. Think about this. Um, According to census data, when you get that little census in your mail and you check the boxes, the last time it was sent out, about 220 million people in the United States of America claimed to be a Christian. Today is Sunday, November 6th. Of those 220 million, do you know how many are in church today? On average, 50 million. So less than a quarter of Christians in America are in church services today. The numbers are harder to get, obviously. But how many of the reported 350 million Christians in China do you think gathered in church on Sunday this week? Of those not in prison, (laughs) Barna Research has estimated that over 90% of Christians in China will meet in church 
this week. So every week in China, somewhere around 300 million people will gather to worship Jesus. I appreciate what Albert Moeller said. He said this about the United States. He says, we have to recognize, Christian, we have to recognize this. The fact that our nation is growing more distant from the gospel. Our nation is growing more distant from Jesus and hardening its resistance to Christian truth. I think we see that, don't you? Yeah. He goes on to say, these changes have been visible for some time, but there's a startling new velocity to the changes. I think you'd agree that the changes in our country are happening quickly, faster than when I was a teenager, for sure, and in my opinion, heading downhill. He goes on to say, the saving power of the gospel of Jesus Christ remains as true as ever. Our responsibility, Christian, regardless of any data, is to teach and to preach the gospel and to gather together as Christians. This new report should make us even more determined to be faithful in our corporate worship. There are a lot of differences between Christianity in China and Christianity in the United States of America. One of the most telling, at least to me, is the difference between how much they value the corporate gathering of the church compared to us. Today we're talking about the gathering. You may recognize it better as being called the church service. Would you please read with me in Hebrews chapter 10? We're going to read two verses. We're going to start in verse number 24. The word of God says, Let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering, for he is faithful that promised. And let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works. I even gave you an extra verse there. <laughs> verse number 25. Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another, and so much the more, as you see the day approaching. Let's pray. God, we love you. We thank you for your word and how it can impact our hearts. Pray, Lord, that you will bless this time around it. Be with our services. Move in hearts and minds. In your name I pray. Amen. Um, the author of Hebrews tells his readers that we should do our best to not skip out on the gathering, the assembling of the church. So why do we have church services? Why do we have it on our schedules every single week to come into a place like this, to sing some songs, and to listen to some man, no matter how good looking he is, for 30 minutes or so? What's the purpose? Can't I just worship God all on my own? Why do we do this every week? Is it just for some uh, spiritual habit that we have gotten into? Is there more to it than that? Can there be? I'm really glad you asked. Today we're going to answer some of those questions by three general questions. Number one, most importantly, who gathers. So when we come together on Sundays at 9.30, at 11, 
even when we come together on Sunday nights at 5 or on Wednesdays at 7, who should be here with us? Our text gives us a hint. Verse 25 says, it says, the assembling of ourselves. But who is the ourselves? If you've been paying attention to our series, we've been going through a series called The Body. Every single Sunday, I believe I have at least implicitly answered that question. The metaphors the Bible uses for the church tell us most of what we need to know about who should be gathering on Sunday. So let's go through some of those metaphors that we saw. The, what, the, one of the last ones that we saw was a holy temple. God is building something. He calls it in Ephesians chapter 2 a holy temple. This holy temple has specific building supplies. The specific building supplies are born-again Christians. It's you and it's me. When we get saved, God picks up a living stone, First Peter tells us, and he begins to chisel it away so that that living stone, you or me, fits into the spot that he wants it to fit into just perfectly. This holy temple is a picture of the global work of Jesus and how we all fit together. You and I are literally connected, not just to those around us, but to believers all over the world. This is why what happens in China should impact us too. It shouldn't be something that we just think, well, they're all the way over there. It's not something that concerns us. No, we're all a part of the same building project that God is putting together. In Ephesians chapter 1 and 2, it calls us a family. It's amazing to think about that when God was choosing his children by adoption, he chooses you and me. We were not worthy. None of us measured up. But God looked at us and says, I want you. It's amazing to think about. And then Ephesians 2 calls the church the household of faith. This is a great picture of the local church. You and I, when we come together on Sundays, it's almost like a family reunion. Don't you love those? Coming together. And we get to spend time with brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ. Come into the household of faith. The psalm says, I was glad when someone said, let us go to the house of the Lord together. Um, another uh, one that we looked at was the embassy. Do you remember that one? We're ambassadors, you and I, for the kingdom of God. We are strangers and foreigners in this land, the United States of America, because we have now been given a heavenly citizenship. This place is our embassy. This church is our embassy. So we gather to receive instructions on how to advance the kingdom of God and how to conduct ourselves as citizens of heaven in a foreign land. We're also called the bride of Christ. Ephesians 5 verse number 25 tells us that Jesus gave himself up, died for the church, and is going to marry his bride. Jesus is so committed to us that he was willing to give his life for us. He is so committed to us, he's not just going to date us. He is going to marry us. Yeah. Makes me want to go on a diet. Make sure I'm looking good for the wedding. You know what I'm talking about? 
He's going to marry us. And we should be as committed to him as he is committed to us. We should not only be willing to die for him, we should be willing to live for him. And what this is, this time that we come together on Sundays, it's really just a marriage rehearsal. We get to go through the rehearsal as we prepare for the wedding someday in the skies. How amazing is that? And we don't, God knew that we needed more than one. So he's waiting to come back until we get it down. Can I get a witness? And then the most used metaphor in the New Testament for the church is the body of Jesus Christ. This is the clearest metaphor for the local church in all of Scripture. It reminds us that we must meet with people who we know and who we can have a relationship with. My part is important to the whole, and so is yours. So to answer this question of who gathers to worship God, the primary person who gathers is God's people. Who have, especially people who have already joined and become a part of that local church. Listen to me. The reason why preacher goes out of his way to check on you when you're not here is because I know how important this week is to me and to other people. And if you aren't here, we're missing an important part of God's puzzle known as Central Baptist Church. And you should be just as concerned when your fellow brothers and sisters aren't here. If you're a Christian, the implication of these portraits of the church is that we would be connected to a church body and faithfully gather with our church body. Others will surely meet with us every week. We know this is true, and we're glad for it. We will have visitors that will come, and we're grateful for the visitors that are even here right now. I promise you, you will not find a more loving church than Central Baptist Church. We will have family that comes to visit. We have family here with us today. Um, we will have even some family that comes from Panama that has joined us this morning. Um, we have people from all across the Metroplex who will visit with us. And then we will also have people that will come that are lost, that don't know Jesus. And we will do our best to show them the love of Jesus while they are here. But what does this tell us about a church service? Hear me. This is important. The purpose of a church service isn't first to be evangelistic. The purpose of a church service is for God's people to worship God together. So who gathers? God's people who have become a part of that local church. Number two, must we gather? Man, I'm really glad you asked that question. You're asking good questions today. <laughs> Why do you, or anyone for that matter, go to church on a Sunday morning? Go to church services on a Sunday morning. I mean, you have a lot of other options, right? You can find a beach. Obviously, you go to Galveston. Not really sure why you would, but you could go to Galveston. You can watch football. I know the Cowboys don't play today, but there's other better football teams playing. <laughs> Maybe next week, since I just said that, you'll choose to sleep in. Maybe you have children and they have sports. Uh, maybe vacations or just sit at home and do nothing. 
Why did you gather today? Some may say it's out of duty. I feel like I have to come. Maybe it's to socialize. Maybe there's someone here that you really love and you want to be around them as much as you can. Maybe you'll say it's because your wife made you. <laughs> I see some husbands looking at some wives as I speak. Maybe it's for your kids. You realize how important church is for your kids. You want to raise them up in church, so you send them to church, and you're praying the entire time. I sure pray that that Sunday school teacher will help fix little Johnny for me. You know what I'm talking about? What would you say right now? You don't have to answer me audibly, but what, what, what's the reason that you're here right now? The truth of the Bible is that we aren't meant to worship God only on our own. Surely we're meant to worship him on our own. Most of the week is that way. But that's not the only way we're supposed to worship him. Most of the time we worship God on our own, but we need each other. Even to worship God. Just look at the passage today. And read the verses leading to verse 25. And see how our faith isn't meant to be individualistic. How we are connected to one another and we are meant to meet together and do life together. Look with me at verse number, let's start in verse 22. Notice all of the plural pronouns. It says, let who? Us. Draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering for he is faithful that promise and let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is but exhorting one another and so much the more as you see the day approaching did you get it it's let us our our us our us one another ourselves one another in four verses if you read the entire chapter, the entire chapter is just like that. We aren't meant to just be scattered individuals worshiping Jesus. We are meant to be gathered individuals corporately worshiping Jesus together. In fact, the Bible goes on. 1 Peter 2.10 says this, Which in time past were not a people, but are now the people of God, which had not obtained mercy, but praise the Lord, now have obtained mercy. This point is proven by how God has chosen to work amongst us. God doesn't just save individuals. Please understand this biblical truth. God saves a specific people. Then he expects those people to in turn serve and worship him. God has always related to his people, not only as individuals, but as a corporate body from the beginning of time. This is how God has always worked. In Genesis, he calls both Abraham and his family to be his people. In Exodus, God rescues that family and makes them a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. The rest of the Old Testament is the history of this nation. God's people set apart for God's glory. 
It is no surprise then that when Jesus arrives on the scene, he highlights the corporate nature of the people that he, come, that he had come to save. Jesus said these things. In Matthew 16, he says, I will build my church, my gathering, my assembly. He would go on to say in this two chapters later, gather in my name. Paul would affirm this, that Jesus doesn't just die for individuals. In Ephesians 5.20, Paul said that when Jesus came, he came and died for the church, not just individuals. Hear me. A strong theology of assembly built on the foundation of God, not only saving individuals, but a specific people, will fight against individualistic and consumer worship. Most Christians in the United States of America aren't like Chinese Christians. And one of the biggest differences is that most Christians in America are consumer Christians. Here's how this looks. Think about the people in the Chinese, uh, the Chinese believers in the video. Why do they go through such great lengths to meet together? They know that they need one another just to get through the next day. Why? Because the government has taken husband, child, parents, brother, sister. And someone important to them is gone, and the church is there to plug the hole. But individualistic consumers will come into church services like this one today, looking for things that they don't like. And if they don't get what they want while they're here, they'll just keep on shopping until they find what they want. But if I gather knowing it's God's people coming together, and if I don't get what I want when I come, can I be honest with you? I can't remember the last time that I had a preaching service where I got everything that I wanted. You think I get to pick the songs? I don't. No, there's plenty of songs that I'm like, man, I don't really like this one. Just being honest with you. But if I don't get what I want, it is perfectly okay. Why? Because if you do get what you want, because I'm here to meet and worship God and to meet your needs, then that's enough for me. If I come here and you leave with your heart full, and mine needs something. I know that God can meet that need sometime during the week. But I'm happy and content because you're leaving full. Why? Because I am not here for me. I'm here for him and for you. We see this principle throughout the entire New Testament. So who gathers? The local church does. Here's what a local church is. A local church is an assembly of blood-bought, spirit-filled worshipers who build one another up by God's word and affirm one another as citizens of Christ's kingdom through the ordinances. This means that being a Christian, a worshiper of God, entails identifying with God's worshiping people. You've been adopted into his family, so when you sit down at the dinner table of corporate worship, you don't sit all by yourself. Since salvation is corporate, worship is corporate as well. What does this mean? Must we gather? Yes, the Bible emphatically commands it in our passage today. 
It implies it in the metaphors that we saw during the series. And the Bible also reveals it in specific commands for believers. In fact, I would go so far as to say this, please listen, that we are not a church if we no longer meet. I'll take it a step further. There are certain people who will not be faithful to attend church services. And after a certain point, they are no longer a part of the church if they don't meet with the church. Can I prove that to you? I have been your pastor for six and a half years, almost exactly. And for six and a half years, I've gotten to know many of you very well. But it, it doesn't fail. In fact, it happened just a couple of weeks ago. I was out at Walmart or somewhere buying something for the church during the week. And I had on my Central Baptist Church t-shirt. There's some more out there. You can have one. Um, and someone came up to me and said, are you the pastor at Central Baptist Church? I said, yes, I'm the pastor at Central Baptist Church. And she looked at me and said, I know you haven't met me yet, but I'm a member of Central Baptist Church. After six and a half years, I still haven't met some members. Can I ask you, do you think that flies according to God? Of course not. A strong theology of assembly reminds us that God delights to pour out his presence amongst his people. There is a simple reason why meeting together with God's people, because God blesses his gathered people with his spirit. Last question. Why does God gather us? What do we do when we come together? Why does God gather us? There are many things that we can do, but there are some things that we have to do every time we come together. Number one, and most importantly, we worship God. The Sunday morning service is meant to be a celebration service. We meet together in excitement over what God has done for us and through us this week. We should be excited to come into this place and tell people what God has done. Hey, were you here last Sunday night? We had over a thousand people fit into our parking lot. I'm telling you, it was a super spreader event. Can I get a witness? <laughs> Everywhere. A thousand people came into our parking lot and we gave them all candy. We're excited about these. Our worship first is a response to what God has done and is in doing and is doing in our lives. This should excite us. You can hear the thunderous roar of Niagara Falls as far as 20 miles away. At its peak, almost 2,400 metric tons of water cascade down that cliff every second. It's staggering to comprehend such majesty. Yet even though the falls seem prohibiting, many visitors feel compelled to get closer still. They board that made of the mischief to get as close to the falls as possible. The church gathers to hear and behold the glorious one. It's like when during the week we're 20 miles away. Sure, we can worship God on our own, but it's not the same as being an eyewitness to the real thing. 
And during the week, it's like God is compelling us to come close and worship him. And I promise you that when we celebrate this way, it won't be quiet or mundane. There will be an excitement to it. There will be some exuberance about it. We won't stand like statues looking at a screen. We'll be moved by the love and the mercy of God. And it will cause us to praise his name because he's the only one that deserves that kind of praise. When the church gathers, we glorify him. Consider the ways that we should gather and worship. Number one, we should do it with reverence. Hebrews 12 says this, Wherefore, we receiving a kingdom which cannot be moved, let us have grace whereby we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear because our God is a consuming fire. A God-centered service, it shouldn't indulge our appetites for saccharine spirituality. It shouldn't be so sweet like candy. Hear me. It's not about us. Approaching the living God is more like gazing in awe at the height of Mount Everest. It's not at all like wandering into a video arcade. We should sing songs that beckon us to delight in God. We should leave this place every time we come with a sense of awe over what God has done and over what God is doing in our hearts and amongst his people. Number two, it should be worshipped with gladness. 1 Thessalonians 5.16, I read it at the beginning of the service, it simply says, rejoice evermore. That's good advice. Christian, every opportunity we get, we should praise God. Our services should reflect the life-altering reality that our Savior is alive. That our sins have been forgiven. And that the devil is a defeated enemy. That we have a home in heaven and our eternal security is in Jesus Christ himself. That reality should make us glad. We should come into this place with praise in our hearts, with gratefulness on our lips, and a smile on our face. Our worship should make us glad. We should be the happiest people in the world, not the grumpiest. Have you ever gone to a search and it was, or have you ever gone to a church? Have you ever gone to a church and it was like you walked onto the set of The Walking Dead? Right? Listen, there have been some services where the guy was preaching and I fell asleep. You know who the guy was? Me. <laughs> but that shouldn't be the case. Hear me. When we come into this place, we should be excited about what God has done for us. Think about it. The prodigal son comes back home. And the father, who represents our heavenly father, what does he do? He throws his boy, hey, Baptist, a party. 
He throws him a party. And the party is so loud that the older son, you know what he hears in the field? Singing music. And what's the last thing? It's, Come on, Baptist. Dancing. Heaven help our Baptist souls. And the father looks at that older son and says, it is a good thing to celebrate what has been done. When we come here, we celebrate. Lastly, at times, our music, our worship should be loud and even emotional. Think about some of these verses. Be glad in the Lord, Psalm 32, 11 says. And rejoice, ye righteous, and whisper for joy. No. It says, and shout for joy, all ye that are upright in heart. So if you're whispering next Sunday, I'll know why. <laughs> Psalm 34, 3 says, oh, minimize the Lord with me. It says, magnify the Lord with me, and let us exalt the name together after the uh, Israelites had gotten back to the uh, holy land Jerusalem after being in captivity in Babylon and Persia Ezra sets up the worship and this is how they respond Ezra 3:11 says and all the people shouted not just any shout but don't you love it when the Bible repeats itself shouted with a great shout when they praised the Lord because of what God had done. Hear me. When we come together, we shouldn't come thinking that we have to keep the worship of God to ourselves. No, in fact, it should be the exact opposite. We should let other people know that we're worshiping God. Does the Niagara Falls whisper? No, it shouts it out. And so should we. Can I tell you something that confuses me? Sometimes during a Sunday service, I stand in the back. I'm almost done, I promise. I stand in the back. And I see people that claim to be Christians. And they don't sing at all during our worship time. I don't get it. How can we claim to know our Savior and understand what he's done to us and let a petty little thing like, well, I don't really like this song, keep us from offering him praise. Christian, it's not about you. It's about God. The next thing, in every service we should have preaching of God's word. Every time we come together, we should open up God's word. And say, thus saith the Lord. Hear me, as your pastor, I promise that when we come together on Sunday mornings, we will always open up God's word because it is the only thing powerful enough to change our souls. You need God's preaching. You can't just be in God's word, and you should be in it, but you need to be under God's word as well. Then we need prayer. Every service must be saturated in it. If you want God to bless our services... You need to ask him to bless our services. So we must confess our sins as individuals, but also as a people. 
We must ask God to work in our lives and in the life of our church. And we must praise him for who he is, even in prayer. When Jesus was asked to teach them how to pray, he didn't teach them how to pray as individuals. He taught his disciples how to pray corporately. Look what it says. After this manner, therefore pray ye. Whose father? Our father, which art in heaven. Hallowed be thy name. Another thing that we're supposed to do when we come together is give. You know I'm a preacher. I was going to get to it, right? (laughs) But it's in the Bible. When we come together, we have an opportunity to worship God in sacrificing of things that are already his anyways. 1 Corinthians says this. Now concerning the collection for the saints, as I have given order to the churches of Galatia, even so do ye. Upon the first day of the week, let every one of you lay by him in store. What is that talking about? When we come together on Sundays, we give back to God. So every service should have an opportunity to give back to him. Listen, more than this, Christians should be marked by generosity. Hey, do you realize last month our church has given over $15,000 just in October of 2022 to different organizations, missionaries or families who were in need just our church do you know why because some of you came and you heard what the need was and you said preacher i want to help and you gave and you gave and you gave you don't hear about that in the news but god knows lastly and i'm done we edify we build each other up we encourage one another One thing that should happen every time we come together is we should be busy trying to build one another up, to encourage one another, to help each other out. But sadly, that doesn't always happen. Please listen, I'm almost done. I hear, I have heard, at least on occasion, some people say things like this. Man, I'm so done with church. So done with church. I come in every week. No one ever shakes my hand. No one ever gives me a hug. No one ever welcomes me. I even stand there doing handshaking time with my hand out. Nobody says hi. Last week I wore a name tag. People still don't know my name. I'm done. Can I tell you what that sounds like to me? It sounds like those individuals are keeping score. I helped this many people I encouraged this many people I prayed for this many people they don't measure up can I be honest I'm your pastor if this is your mindset you will never be content no church will ever be good enough you will always leave this place let down and upset if you know the scriptures it plainly teaches that when we get together as a church we need to have already planned listen to me it should be a part of our weekly plan when we come together how we can encourage lift up edify help aid benefit somebody else it's one of the paradoxes of the bible hear me i am most encouraged when i am being 
an encourager. Some of us will never find encouragement because we never try to encourage. Maybe the issue aren't those around you. Maybe the issue is the person in the mirror. Imagine if we all during the week began to play in for this service. And how we could encourage other people when we got here. Not how we can find encouragement, but how we can be an encourager. How awesome would our Sundays be if every single person in the room today said, Next Sunday, don't call me by my name. Call me encourager. Because that's what I'm going to be. You literally come into this place with the mindset, I am going to bless anyone and everyone I see. I'm going to say something nice like, man, you've got great shoes. You have the best hairline I have ever seen, Brother Bell. (laughs) I mean, you don't got to make it up. But you can find something about everyone to lift their spirits. At the most basic, you know what you can do? Find someone who looks down and pray with them. Friend, I can't pray with everybody on a Sunday. But you can pray with someone every Sunday. So we come together to worship God most importantly. But we also come together to edify each other secondly. Do you notice the order? It's God first, others second, and me last. In fact, they put it as an acronym. The secret to joy is Jesus, others, you. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to join us in person, our services are at 9.30 a.m. and 11 a.m. every Sunday. We're located at 700 North Walnut Creek Drive in Mansfield, Texas. You can visit our website at cbcmansfield.com or follow us at Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube at CBC Mansfield. Thanks again for joining us.